Shabbat Shalom. And here we are, all gathered together on this fine Sabbath day to listen to Lesson 26 of the Book of Romans. And we are right between chapters 8 and 9, trying to determine the purpose of the letter before we continue through these next important chapters. And what we found last week was that Paul tells the non-Jews, he says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. And he told, them that, told us that there were those that were boasting over the natural branches. And so our first problem is pride and arrogance on the part of these non-Jews. They are treating Jews in the synagogue poorly because they think they're better because they have come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. However, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to find. He's going to get more specific. Today I want to continue just to jump around the book of Romans a bit to establish a few things that are really so far from what has been taught by the church that we need to really reestablish the purpose of the letter. And if we do that, it will allow us to breeze through chapters 9 and 6 through 16. We need these basics to understand the direction Paul is going in this letter. And I want to go back to chapter 16 and the verses we looked at last week because these verses summarize what he said in 9 through 16. And particularly chapters 14 and 15, giving us really the purpose of the letter. And so it reads this way in verse 17 of chapter 16. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, but of their own appetites. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Now I underline some of the key things in these verses because it summarizes what he said before. Understanding these things will help us understand chapters 9 through 14 of Romans. So let's look at this first phrase. Keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. And what we see here is that there are those who are causing dissensions and hindrances and the Greek word for hindrances is scandalon, stumbling block. This word stumbling is key to the book of Romans. The word stumbling is used several times and if we look at the uses of this word, we can get an idea why he's using it here in the summary. It's actually used five times in the book of Romans, so let's look at its uses. The first time is in chapter 9 and verse 33. And it says, They stumble over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And so what I want you to see is the first time it's used, it's used of the Messiah and the fact that the Jewish people, for the most part, missed Messiah. It's a quote of a combination of verses from Isaiah 8 and 28, and it speaks of Messiah being a stumbling stone. 
Paul establishes that the whole of Scripture and the good news is all about Messiah. We saw that in the, in the last few weeks. The Jewish people, for the most part, missed the Messiah. They stumbled, and he was actually the point at which they stumbled. So not only did they miss him, but he was the reason they missed him. And one thing I want you to know, that this is the only thing that this word stumble is used over, this word scandalon in Paul's letters. The other thing I want you to know is that to miss the Messiah is to miss the communication of God. Because remember, Romans 10.4 told us that the Messiah is the goal of the Torah. Or we could say the point of the Torah is Messiah. That is what God was trying to communicate to us through the Torah. The fact is that missing the Messiah or stumbling because of the Messiah is the reason this word is used in every instance of Paul's writings. The use of this word by Paul speaks of this stumbling over the good news, stumbling over the Messiah. And we're going to find also that it's used in chapter 16. The the use of this word in chapter 16 is the same, missing Messiah. But in this instance, it will be because people are causing others to stumble and miss the Messiah and the good news. The next place it's used, this word is used, is another key passage in understanding the book of Romans. It's used in chapter 11, beginning with verse 9. It says, And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them, and let their eyes be darkened to see not, their backs bent forever. And say then, They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. By their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So what we find is that in both of these instances is used of the Jewish people missing the Messiah. This time, because their eyes were darkened, they stumbled. That stumbling happened to Israel because God darkened their eyes so they cannot see. And what couldn't they see? The Messiah. He's the stumbling stone. God did this, Paul will tell us, so that the good news of salvation would go out to the Gentiles. Now, the last two uses are both in chapter uh, 14 and verse 13. The last two we're going to look at. It's used twice in this verse. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. This time, while I'm sure he's speaking of the Jewish people, we can't say for sure because it doesn't actually say that. It's used to the Jewish people. But we can assume that in using it, he's saying that the stumbling block or the obstacle is causing the same effect. And that is it's keeping people from the Messiah, causing them to miss the Messiah or turn away from the Messiah. However, the stumbling spoken of here is not caused by the Messiah, not the stone, That makes them stumble, but it's food and days of worship, which is how chapter 14 began. He spoke of verses, he spoke of food in verses 1 through 4, and days of worship in 5 through 7 of chapter 14. And that's what's causing the stumbling. Well, right away, if you're like me, you want to ask yourself, what about the food and the days of worship could cause someone to miss the Messiah? Well, we're going to get to that. But first, let's read our verse again because 
Again, there's some more clues here in chapter 16, in verse 17 through 19. I'm going to read it again. Now I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. And so we learn something else here, that the hindrances, that the stumbling is contrary to the teaching that these non-Jews in Rome have learned. So we know that the hindrance has to do primarily with food and days of worship and judging one another over food and days of worship. This is causing the dissension, or we could say the division within the community. Also, all of this judging as I said, is in regard to food and days of worship, and it's contrary to what they have been taught. Such things. He's telling them, turn away from that. Okay, so the next he says this, and this is key too, verse 18. He says, For such men are slaves, not of the Messiah, our Lord, but of their own appetites. And so the cause of the stumbling is judging in regard to days of worship and particularly the food. And of these men who are causing the stumbling, he says that they are not slaves of the Messiah. They're not followers of the Messiah, but they are actually slaves of their own appetites. And notice he doesn't say slaves of their flesh, which was a major topic in chapters 6 through 7, but he's very specific in saying appetites. And this is the first and the only use of, use of this word in the entire book of Romans. So again, he takes us right back to the food spoken of in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. These men in their diets are not followers of Messiah Yeshua, but are slaves of their own appetites. And because of this, they're causing a stumbling. They're not living as Messiah or a follower of Messiah, but instead they're controlled by their own appetites. And I want to say, I found over the years that there's one thing that you don't mess with people over. Their food. And you can ask any of the elders this. If you were to take notes from the elders' meetings over the last 20 years, what you, would buy, what you would find that by far a major portion of the time spent in those elder meetings was over onigs. Amen? Do I hear an amen from the elders? Amen. Over onigs. And the topics would, would include how do we get people to go through the line to keep them from piling on their plates so there's no food left for the people on the, on the back side of the line. Another would be, uh, people are piling their plates and then throwing much of it into the trash. And still there's nothing left for the people at the back of the line. How do we get people to bring food and make sure that the food they bring is clean? In other words, not pork or shellfish. Not to mention when we switched our egg from hot food to cold food and bagels, you would have thought we were sentencing people to prison. Or death. Or that we had just committed some horrendous sin in the eyes of God. <laughs> Not just that, though. I've noticed over the years, as people come into Sar Shalom, they usually have reconciled themselves to the Sabbath. That's why they're here. And often the festivals. 
However, it usually takes them a long time to decide whether the clean and unclean food laws might apply to them. You know, I even had one person leave the congregation because I wouldn't eat pork. Even though I told him, you know, I would never demand anyone quit eating pork because teaching is my job, not enforcement. He still left the congregation because I wouldn't eat pork. Well, the point of all this is we don't want people messing with our food. Well, here we have those who have not curbed their eating habits to what has been taught. And as we're going to read in a second, they're using smooth and flattering speech to further their own position. As he says in in verse 19, he says, And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And so they're gathering support from the unsuspecting, and the King James says, simple. In other words, we could uh, assume that these are newer and unlearned folks coming into the synagogue. And they do this by flattering and smooth speech. Well, let me tell you something. What happens when you speak to an innocent or an unlearned or a new believer, or really, for the most part, anyone with flattering speech? Well, if they listen, they get puffed up. And what did we say last week was one of the problems Paul is addressing here? Gentiles thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. And again, boasting over the Jewish people who are the natural branches. Here he tells us why. There are those causing dissensions with flattering words that fill the unsuspecting with pride. They're deceiving the innocent with untruths, with things that were contrary to the truths which had been taught. Okay, so next. What are they eating that are causing people to stumble, that goes against what they've been taught? Well, let's go to where foods have been discussed in the book of Acts. The apostles discussed foods. Remember, Romans is being written five to ten years after the decision in Acts chapter 15, where the apostles decide regarding new Gentiles coming to faith in Messiah Yeshua. So let's go to see what they have taught about food. To set this up, the original question had nothing to do with food, but it was this, verses 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. And so here's the council's going to decide if the non-Jews coming to faith in the Messiah Yeshua need to be circumcised to be accepted within the community. And not just that, to determine if, if they're even saved or not. Now let's skip down to the decision and consequently uh, what they had been taught because this will be, after this will be the policy in all the congregations, not just Antioch where they're writing to. 
19 says this, Therefore, this is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but write them that they are to abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generation, has in every... Those who preach him, since he has been read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders within the whole church to choose men from them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood and things strangled, and from fornication. And if you keep yourself free of such things, you will do well. Farewell. So here's the decision and the teaching that was sent out by the apostles. And there's a lot of confusion around this teaching even in our day. Some say this is all of the, all of the non-moral laws of the Torah that the Gentiles uh, are required to keep. Others say this was just a starting place for new followers of Yeshua because it says those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. And by this they meant that they were those who were just turning and they coupled that with for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath day to say that this was to, to uh, this decision was to give them time to learn the other things uh, that were read in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I tend to agree with that view, but that's a whole other teaching and we're not going there today. All that concern, all I want to look at is what is this letter to the Romans. And that part of it doesn't enter in. The teaching is this. I underlined some of the text. These are the essentials. Or we could say the necessary things. Now why would these things be so important? That the apostles felt that the new Gentiles must adhere to these specific things. I mean, if you look at these in the context of our lives you would think, my goodness, this doesn't even make sense. I've never even seen meat offered to an idol. Or something strangled. You don't find this stuff in your... You you don't got to worry about this stuff. Fornication makes sense. But the rest of these things, you end up asking yourself, why are these here? They don't make it... They're not applicable to me. And that's the problem with reading Scripture without a knowledge of history and the customs of the day. The first of those things, abstain from the things sacrificed to idols. And the first in the list is pretty obvious. If you were going to come in and worship among the people of God, the first thing everyone would want to know 
and to be sure of is that you are in fact one of the people of God and not out worshiping other gods the next day. Right? Because the Ten Commandments are clear. It says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or the likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so true people of God are not going to be worshiping idols in combination with the worship of the God of Israel. Worshiping another god or eating things that were sacrificed in worship to idols would be an abomination. Now let's go to the Torah and see where we can find these things. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 8 says this. When you shall say to them, any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Now think about this. Why would the Lord command that the Israelites and the aliens among them only offer offerings at the tent of meeting? Well, if they were going to make an offering and it wasn't at the tent of meeting, they just went to some high place or something there would be a chance or at least it might appear as if they were offering this animal to another God. And so God says, if you offer an animal anywhere other than the temple or the tabernacle, you must be cut off. And this offering of an animal to an idol is an abomination to God. It also renders the meat of that animal unclean to eat. So go back to the decision of the disciples regarding the Gentiles. If they were eating meat offered to idols, would that be an abomination? Would the meat be unclean? Well, yes. And if they were new to the synagogue, it might indicate to others that they might still be idol worshipers. And the penalty for that is to be cut off. And it's no different in our day. Well, we don't offer offerings because we don't have a temple. We can't go to the temple. Still, if we have someone come here and we find out they're practicing another religion after a period of time and after taking them aside and talking to them about Yeshua, if they didn't quit, what would we do? There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out, right? Now, let's look at verse 10, the other issue, blood, of chapter 17. It says... Any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood, for it is by, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may an alien who sojourns among you eat blood. So when any man from among the sons of Israel or the aliens who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird which may be eaten, he shall pour its blood out and cover it with earth. And so, again, any alien caught eating blood would be cut off. 
And it wasn't just with offerings, because it says, even if you were out hunting, you were to slit the throat and pour the blood out on the ground and cover it with earth. And if you don't, the penalty is cut off. And what do these things have in common? Blood and idols. Well, blood was used in many pagan rituals, even the drinking of blood. So both of these have a context of worshiping other gods. Now, what about sexual immorality? Well, obviously, being immoral in and of itself is not good. And it's forbidden. But it was also a huge part of pagan worship. First, the worshiper would go off for animals and have this big feast. Then the worshiper would go and spend some time with the temple prostitutes. All of this was an abomination to God. Now, if you were to read on in the book of Leviticus through chapter 18, he lists off a bunch of sexual relations that are forbidden, and he ends it with this in verse 24. He says, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, and therefore I have brought this punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you... You are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done these abominations, and the land has become so the land will not spew you out should you defile it. It has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. The point I'm trying to make is if you look at these four things, they're related to idol worship. To the worship of other gods. Second, these commands are all given not just to the Jewish people, but very specifically to the alien that sojourns among them. Now I want you to think about this. A new Gentile who's come to faith in Messiah Yeshua coming into a synagogue in Rome, would he be considered by the Jewish people in Rome or any Jewish community, would he be considered an alien? Well, yes, he would. And so the point is, the apostles are forbidding these things because the Torah, the law of God, forbids them. And this section was written for this problem for the people in Antioch. But understand, this is going to be policy from now on for all the followers of Yeshua everywhere to include Rome. This is the teaching of the followers of Messiah Yeshua. And this is being written to Antioch. And if this problem arose in Corinth or Rome, that answer would be the same. And we might as well face facts. It's going to come up in every Jewish community, in every pagan city. Why? Well, it wasn't just the disciples that demanded this, but it's exactly what the Jewish leaders in each community would ask of new Gentiles coming into the synagogue as well, whether or not they were followers of Yeshua. Remember, we have these classes of people within these synagogues, and they were, there were those who had not come to faith in Messiah Yeshua who were Jewish 
There were those who were full converts or proselytes who had not come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And there were God-fearers, those who were just interested but not circumcised who had not come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And finally, there were those from each of these groups who were followers of Messiah Yeshua. But I want you to note that the non-Jews who are not circumcised and believe are by far the most prevalent at the time of the writing of this letter. And we're going to see why today before this message is over. Well, the Council of Jerusalem is asking the new Gentile believers to do what is asked of any other God-fearer in the synagogue. You know, I think we Christians sometimes think, think that the rabbis stood in the doorway with a flint knife in their hand waiting for an unsuspecting Gentile to walk in so they could pounce on him and remove his foreskin. It wasn't the case. There were always uncircumcised Gentiles among them. And I'm going to tell you something else. These Jewish men and women who were not believers in Yeshua... They did not demand, as these men in Antioch are demanding, that they be circumcised. And so this decision here would be more simply stated this way. These Gentiles coming to us must keep these things to show that they are separated from the paganism to be a part of our community. And if they do these things, then they'll be allowed into the synagogues and they'll learn more of what God requires because Moses from ancient generations has been preached in every city and in every synagogue on the Sabbath day. They will hear the scriptures and learn of God and what he requires. And the other thing you have to remember is that you just didn't go to the store and buy a Bible. You just didn't go down to the local bookstore and buy a Bible at this time. There were none. If you wanted to learn of the God of Israel and you wanted to hear scripture, you had to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and listen to the Torah being read. The point being that this is the teaching that these folks in Rome would have been taught and this is what's causing the dissension. They're following their own appetites instead of the teaching that have been given them. Now, with this in mind, let's go to chapter 14 and just read this short short section on foods. Verses 1 through 4. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, this is pretty simple. Why would someone eat only vegetables besides Sharon for health reasons? Why would someone eat only vegetables? Well, how about he's unsure about the meat that's being served at the Oneg? Whether the meat was offered to an idol or not. Or maybe he was unsure that meat had been killed properly and the blood had been removed. And because of that, at the community meals, he just decided to avoid the whole issue and just eat vegetables. How about that for a reason? Remember, Rome is filled with meat that has been offered in the temples. And the portions that were left after the feast went to the meat markets. So to fully understand this, we should identify those whose faith is weak, right? And the ones who can eat anything. Well, we're not going to do that today, but we will do that when we get to this chapter and we go through verse by verse. But we're just skipping around today. 
So if you're following me, here's what you're starting to see. This letter is written to Gentile believers who are causing such dissension that Paul has to write this letter before going there. They're causing Jewish non-believers to stumble. And you have to ask yourself, the next thing you have to ask yourself is, how in the heck did these Roman non-Jewish believers in the Messiah get so powerful in the synagogues? How did that happen? How and why would they be so powerful that Paul had to write in defense of his Jewish brothers as he does in chapters 9 through 11? Well, let's close with this. And this will really set us up for the chapter for chapter 9 next week. Remember, Paul is writing this letter around 58, 55 to 58 common era to a Roman synagogue. And this Roman synagogue is filled with non-Jewish believers in Yeshua. Or with believers in, uh, not, it's filled with non-Jewish believers in Messiah Yeshua. It's also filled with believers in Yeshua the Messiah. It has a smaller presence of Jewish believers and it has a smaller presence of non-Jewish people, of of Jewish people who don't believe in Messiah and non-Jewish people who don't believe in Messiah. Smaller presence. But the biggest presence is those who believe in Messiah Yeshua who are non-Jews. So how does this happen? Were they such great evangelists? Were they passing out tracts on the street corner that effective? Well, Paul tells us, if we back up to chapter 1, we read it. He says this in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan to visit you many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. And so he tells us something prevented him from going to Rome until now. Well, what prevented him? You see, we read this and we think maybe he was too busy. Not so. There's another reason. And it's in this reason we're going to find why these Gentiles have so much influence in Rome. It lies in the rule of the Roman Emperor Claudius. He ruled Rome from 41 to 54 Common Era. And he's the reason Paul was prevented from coming. Claudius didn't like the Jews of Rome because of the disturbances that were caused by the Jewish people in Rome. And so at the start of his reign, we read about this event that was recorded by Cassius Dio. He dates this writing at 41 Common Era, and it reads this way. As for the Jews, who again increased so greatly that by reason of their multitude, it would have been hard without raising a tumult to bar them from the city. He did not drive them out, but ordered them, while continuing in their traditional mode of life, not to hold meetings. And so he starts... Uh, to deal with the Jews at the beginning of his reign in 41 common era. He's unhappy with them, but he doesn't expel them because there are too many of them. But we know by 49 common era, he must have changed his mind because he did expel the Jews from Rome. As we read in Acts chapter 18, it says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had, already, who had recently come from Italy where his wife Priscilla, and because Claudius 
had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker, as they were, and he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath day, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And so by 49, Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome. And this meeting of Paul and Aquila is said to have happened around 49 common era. So during the reign of Claudius, the Jews, to include Paul and Aquila, were not welcome in Rome. And that's the reason he was prevented from going to Rome. Well, with the end of the reign of Claudius in 54 common era, that more than likely opened the doors for the Jews to return and for Paul to make his visit. I would certainly, um, it would tell us why he felt compelled to write those chapters 9 through 11, even as Jewish believers would have been asked to leave Rome and now are returning with the other Jewish people. Right? It gives us another reason for their feeling superior to the Jewish people because they were thought of badly by the general population in Rome. So I think that we can assume that on the occasion of the writing of this letter, these Jewish people, both believers and unbelievers, are returning to Rome and they're finding things quite a mess. Amen? We'll continue on next week.